Yeah, so yoga basically means union and it's connecting your mind and your body and it's based on the belief that your mind is embodied, it's not just up and you know above your neck. And so that when you do a pose in yoga, that it's basic it's mindfulness. Hi friends, I hope the new year is going well for you. It feels like it's kind of kicking off at quite a pace actually. I feel like January is going really quickly, but I have something that we'll think about. Maybe introducing a mindfulness practice for you today. This is a short teaser clip of the upcoming episode on Friday, which I'm really excited about with Dr. Tara Swart, who is a neuroscientist, medical doctor, executive advisor, senior lecturer at MIT, and she's also the author of best-selling book, The Source, which has been translated into 38 different languages. It's a fantastic book. If you haven't read it, I absolutely loved it. And I'm so excited to release the full episode on Friday. So look out for that. But in this little bite-sized clip, you're going to hear about a little bit about the female brain and also the effects of sleep and stress and why we should be thinking about yoga more as a mindfulness practice than as exercise. Well, let's go through the sort of life cycle of a female brain. So around the teenage years, you go through menarche, which is the start of periods. And that can be associated with a lot of emotional dysregulation, which you have to learn how to cope with in your teens and into your 20s. Um, and then you may have you know, one or more children anytime between you know, early 20s to late 40s or, or either side of that. Um, and then, like you said, sometime in your 40s, 50s, you would start the perimenopause and then go through the menopause. So it's a lot of more obvious ups and downs in hormones than, than for a man, although they also do have, obviously, puberty and um, andropause or male menopause as well, but it's more subtle. Um, and actually, men's brains are affected by having babies too. So their oxytocin levels increase because of bonding their testosterone levels drop at the same time, more so if the baby's in the bedroom. So, you know, it's fascinating that mm. there are those subtle things that we're less aware of. But, you know, when you made that list about primary caregiver for children, elderly parents, it's really hit me like how much is going on for the female brain. And so basically being aware of those and, and then the monthly cycle as well. I mean, mm. you know, that's also got implications for mood and mental state. Um I think starting with good nutrition is a really good basis for women because we're more guilty than men of, of skipping meals and neglecting ourselves or yo-yo dieting. So lack of nutrition is a really big issue for women. Um, good nutrition and regular eating. Um, so I would actually start with that. Um, you know, we're obviously so um, focused on making sure that our children eat well. And sometimes we just end up eating leftovers or we eat late or we skip meals and things. Um, all of those things, having babies, going through menopause, being stretched, you know, between elderly parents and children also affect our sleep. Mm. So trying to focus as much as you can on the importance of sleep, because, you know, one night's bad sleep can actually lead to your IQ being five to 10 points lower the next day. And sleep debt is cumulative. So four or five nights of interrupted sleep. And, you know, there's a statistic where you're equivalent to being, you know, sort of a certain level of almost drunk. And longer term, if your sleep is regularly disrupted, then the implications for dementing diseases like Alzheimer's are quite worrying. Um, there's a seven to eight hour cleansing process that goes on overnight. So you really need to be in bed for seven to nine hours. 
Um, and you can't, you have to when you've got young children, obviously, but you should not be breaking that up into like three and four hour segments or, you know, napping is great if you've had a whole night's sleep, but not if it's making up for not having a whole night's sleep. So focusing on sleep, good nutrition. Another one I think for women is we forget to drink enough water or we like try to hold off going, you know, to do a wee for as long as possible because we're so busy. Um, and not being sedentary. So I'm not necessarily, actually, I don't advocate high intensity exercise, but obviously I active, I advocate being physically active, but it's really at the minimum, just making sure you're walking around enough each day that you're kind of getting those steps and getting enough oxygen to your brain. And then having said all of that, which feels like so much to do already, but, you know, I have to say the last one is bringing some simplification and mindfulness into your life so even if that's meal planning or like laying out yours and your children's clothes the night before um and you know preferably having some time for yourself for meditation and yoga because there are statistics that show that women who do yoga three times a week have lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol than women of the same age that don't that's interesting very interesting um with the sleep this is the thing (laughs) I think this is a tough one. As you say, when you've got young children, you're very often disrupted in terms of sleep. And I think it can be difficult. And I know I I personally do struggle to always find that kind of seven hour window. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is something that concerns me. Um, I think with the awareness that we have with um, DNA testing, for example, I know I've tested mine. Lots of people listening will have. I carry one copy of the APOE4. I think everyone's kind of a bit anxious at the moment if they've been following what's trending with Chris Hemsworth on Instagram and it's, it feels a little bit and I, and I have a, a you know very great respect for Dr Peter Atia but it's kind of like my understanding is that just because you have the gene it doesn't mean that you will go on to develop it and yes the risks can be greatly increased but for me when you look at things like genetics and susceptibility like that it's more that it's a kind of pointing system if you like it's alerting for me that yes actually I need to prioritize sleep maybe even more so than other people or I need to think about blood sugar control and things like this Mm -hmm. um you know without wanting to kind of scare people is this when we look at things like the build-up of amyloid plaque and tau proteins and things like that does that happen over a very long period of time if you accumulate a short period of sleep debt can you kind of can the brain cleanse itself of it and make up make reparations just curious how that works yeah, so it does um, happen over a very long period of time. So you can actually now scan the brains of people in their 20s and see if there's cell shrinkage or cell loss or buildup of those sorts of markers of pathology of dementia, like like you mentioned, amyloid plaques and tau proteins. And um, so women do get more dementia than men, and it's very hard to say whether that's linked to sleep disruption due to childcare or not. Probably it's more linked to the fact that women live for longer. Um, And if we all lived for a very long time, we would all get a buildup of those toxins at some point. Um, I'd like to say for the same reasons that I wouldn't do that DNA testing myself, because there's there's pros and cons to it. There's the fact that, yes, you can focus more on sleep and blood sugar regulation, but equally you've got that message in your brain that you can't unhear that you have a risk factor for a, a certain disease. Um, so on that basis of live the best life that you can, I would say, let's say that even if your sleep is disrupted, I always say to people, try to get your baby into a routine as soon as possible, but 
even if that's disrupted for a certain period of months or years, um, act on the basis that you can, by getting back into a good routine, boost your chances of staving off any dementia type symptoms for as long as possible. So with any habit, you know, even much more sort of short-term mundane things, like let's say an exercise regime, I would always say if you fall off, you know, that schedule, don't waste any time beating yourself up, just start again as soon as you can. And so I, I would kind of say the same theory for you know what you've asked about. With sleep. Yeah, I think it's not just that. Right? Uh, I think anyone that's worked in corporate law like I did has probably sacrificed many a night. <laughs> I think my worst ever was something like 85 hours with sort of one and a half hours of sleep. And I remember the floor just not staying still. And I think, yeah, I think yeah. Uh, London, maybe it's changed a bit since then. I don't no, know. No, I have to say in my experience, and I coach mostly people in financial, only financial services now, but I have done law and engineering and stuff in the past <laughs> lawyers are the worst when it comes to sleep the sleep yeah <laughs> yeah there wasn't the greatest respect for sleep no. <laughs> um with exercise you mentioned there that you wouldn't advocate high intensity exercise what's the reason for that because some of some of the literature that i read around high intensity is that it's really good short sharp bursts are great for mitochondrial health um they're great for improving glucose tolerance what i just want to hear a little bit more around that yeah, that is absolutely true. And I'm I think I'm saying this message more strongly post pandemic where we've been through so much chronic stress that's unprecedented for mm. anyone that's alive today that if you do too much high intensity exercise, you actually trigger the release of the stress hormone cortisol which you know, just being super practical and shallow will make you fatter. Mm. But but like, you know, longer term, kind of more importantly, is pro-inflammatory in the body. And everything you said about, you know, the things that you can do to improve your chances of that gene that you've got not expressing would be to reduce inflammation in your body. Do everything that you can to reduce inflammation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And with yoga, it's interesting what you say there, um, that yoga can... <laughs> If you take someone like me, who's a bit of a type A personality, mm. this is where you don't have to discipline me to go to the gym, but I do have to use a certain amount of self-discipline to do yoga. Much yeah. as I love it when I do it, it's mm. kind of getting onto the mat. Uh, can you talk a bit more about the benefits of yoga? Yeah. So yoga basically means union and it's connecting your mind and your body. And it's based on the belief that your mind is embodied. It's not just up in, you know, above your neck. And so that when you, um, <clears throat> do a pose in yoga that it's basic it's mindfulness so I also went on that journey of, of considering yoga as exercise and thinking okay in a week I do this much cardio this much yoga and then I really realized that yoga actually is mindfulness it's not exercise um and and this statistic about women who do it regularly having lower levels of the stress hormone was really important to me because when pre-pandemic when I was traveling like crazy and you know working like crazy um, I always like my fat to muscle ratio changed in a good way whenever I went on holiday. And that means that no matter how much salmon I ate and exercise I did when I was stressed, mm. it wasn't working for my body. And that was a huge realization for me. So I think for someone like you to think that yoga is actually going to boost the effects of what you do in the gym in a really good way, because it's going to lower your cortisol, which some of your gym activity could be going against you, is a really great way to think about it. And I've got a challenge for you. 
Thanks for listening to this bite sized episode this week. If you are on a journey to optimize your health this year, then you need a baseline to know where you're starting with. And the best way to do that is to head over to our website, yourtotalhealthcheck.com, and answer a really short 60 second questionnaire. And we will send you a free personalized report on how you score on all areas of my shift protocol so that you can start optimizing your health, your longevity, and your performance straight away. That's over at yourtotalhealthcheck.com. Thank you for listening to today's show and for your interest in health optimization for high performance. If you're new to my podcast, you may be interested to know that you can get a free health score and report complete with personalized recommendations on how to optimize your sleep, nutrition, fitness, and resilience in the top link in the show notes below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Links to everything we talked about are also in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for more.